Well, we're going to get ready and start our new series, Reset. I don't know about you, but man, sometimes, how many of you just need a good reset? Like, boop, start over. Yeah. How many of you, like, I think they say the average person with New Year's resolutions, the average person does the New Year's resolution for about two or three weeks, and then it's done. Did anybody fall in that category this year? Let me see your hands. Let's be honest. You're in church. Be honest. All right. Yeah, I... um, I stopped New Year's resolutions um, years and years ago and decided if I'm really going to do it, I'm just going to do it. And I don't need to wait for the start of a new year. But a lot of people do. And what we found is, hey, you know what? They bail on it. And so why not start a reset series? Say, hey, listen, if you've blown your New Year's resolution, let's just hit the reset button now. We don't have to wait till the first of the year. Now, I remember growing up, we had this game system. Now, I'm really going to show my age, but this is, a, this is a real one from back in the day, but uh, back in the day, I had this little guy, right? This is the original NES, and it works. It still works. Now, I don't know if my Xbox will still work 30 years from now, but this still works, and in fact... Um, you play, and you, I, I even have games for this. I brought some games here. Um, I have, how many of you remember this one? Double dribble, double dribble. Remember that? It is, and the voice was all digital, right? And they didn't have, like, real NBA teams. They had, like, the Boston Bullfrogs and the L.A. The LA Lemmings or something goofy, right? So there was that. And this is the game that came with it. Every, it used to be games came with the system. Now you've got to spend 60 bucks to get a game with the system. Highway robbery. But this was Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Right? And the game system came with a gun. Right? <laughs> now try to sell a gun with a game system and see what you get. But, and Mario, right? And I always felt sorry for Mario because I always hit his head on the bricks. I'm like, dude. Like, that's got to hurt. And I, got always, I always got frustrated because Bowser in the little castle, right, firing lava and stuff made me. And then, um, but I would play. And I get to a point, with these game systems, you know what? They didn't always save. Like, you had to keep playing. So you had to time it. Like, is mom going to call me for dinner in the next 30 minutes? Because if mom's going to call me for dinner in the next 30 minutes, I can't clear this game. Right? And so you'd spend all night playing. You'd be up all night. Because you couldn't save it. Um, in fact, there's still a game in here. Ah, Super Tecmo Bowl. Anybody want to throw down on some Tecmo Bowl later? You cannot have Bo Jackson. That's cheating. So you'd hit the reset button, reset, and you'd play. And you get to a point, and you can't get past it, and you get frustrated, right? And Bowser would fire his little lava balls. Ah! And you'd hit reset. I must have wore this. Was that a button sound? I must have wore this button out over and over and over. But you know what happened when I hit reset? I was smarter. The next time I went to play it, I knew I had to duck and dive and do this or do that. And the important part of resetting It's not that you scratch everything that you've ever done and get rid of everything you've ever learned. It's that now I'm going back to do this again, but I'm a little bit smarter now. 
I have a little bit more experience. I have a little bit more intelligence about what I'm doing so that when I hit the reset button, I have a better chance. Now, some of you aren't gamers in here, and that's okay, all right? I'm not going to talk about gaming this for the next four weeks. I'm not going to do that. But when I was putting this together, I thought, man, hit the reset button. How many of you can identify something in your life right now that you're ready to hit the reset button on? Because I want you to keep that focus. It's time to hit the reset button. If you don't know what that is, feel free to let your mind wander as I'm speaking, because you're going to do that anyway. So I might as well go ahead and give you something you can wander about. And that is, what might I hit the reset button on? What might I go, reset, I got to do that, I got to start over again. I need, I need to do this a little bit differently this time, all right? And so we all got to, at times, hit the reset button. So I'm just going to, I'm going to set this right here. Set this right here, right? If we're going to hit the reset button in life, or we're going to hit the reset button on an issue, there are three things that have to happen. The first one is this. You have to be open to change. You have to be open to do things differently, to do things maybe in a way that you haven't done them before, right? Maybe... Try to run the business a little different. Try to run the classroom a little different. Try to run the family, do things in your home a little bit differently than you've done them before. If you're going to hit the reset button, you have to be open to change. You see, the problem is not that we don't like change. It's that we want things to stay the same and get better. Let me say that again. The problem is not that we don't like change. It's that we want things to stay the same and get better. But if things are going to get better, they're going to have to change. See, we want everything just to stay the way it is and then get a little bit better. Well, that's called change. And if it's going to get a little bit better, that means we have to change. And so, one, if you're going to hit the reset button, you have to be ready to change. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19 in the Bible, it says, God says this. He says, I'm about to do something new. It is beginning to happen even now. Don't you see it coming? I'm going to make a way for you. To go through the desert, I will make streams of water and dry and empty land. He says, I want to make a new way for you. I want you to do it differently. And I want you to change things up. He goes, I'm going to make streams in the desert for you if you're willing to make a change, if you're willing to do things differently. He says, don't you? I love how he starts the verse. He says, can't you see it coming? Can you see it? Can you anticipate it? Are you excited about it? Are you, are you wanting something to be different than it was before? And a lot of times when we're ready to make a change, we're kind of like, okay, I'm ready to make a change. Whatever. I'm just going to do it. But God says, no, it's time to make a change. It's time to be excited. It's time to hit that reset button and go. Number two, if you're going to hit the reset button, you're going to have to be available. Nothing was worse than when you're gaming, hit the reset button, and then two minutes into it, mom goes, dinner's ready. Right? You, if you're going to hit the reset button in life, you're going to have to be available for new opportunities, for new chances, for new things to happen in your life. You're going to have to be available. You can't say, okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to hit the reset button, but I'm going to go over here and do this. Because you know what's going to happen? The game's just going to keep looping 
over here, and it's going to be stuck. It's going to be the same thing over and over and over and over again, right? I love the story of David and Goliath. And most of us, if, you've, if you watch sports or anything, you're probably familiar with David beats Goliath. You may not even know, but that's in the Bible. That comes from the Bible. And uh, March tourney time's coming up. You're going to hear a lot of references to David beating Goliath. Well, that's from the Bible. Now, don't tell the sports commentators that, but that's from the Bible. And the Bible tells us, though, that before David, before David fought Goliath, he was doing some things in his life that prepared him for Goliath. It wasn't like one day David woke up and go, oh, I'm going to sling, I'm going to sling this rock, boom, embed it in his forehead, knock him out, take his sword, and cut his head off. He didn't just wake up one day and do that, okay? He'd been preparing for it. And let's, let's just take one verse, one verse. It won't be on the screen, so just listen carefully. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 17, now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread to your brothers and hurry to their camp. So Israel's at war with the Philistines, and his dad, Jesse, says, hey, David, here's this ephah, here's some bread. Take it to your brothers who are on the front lines in the army so that they can have some food before the war starts. So David goes, okay. Now, David, prior to this, had been keeping sheep. He was a shepherd. He was the youngest of 12. He was keeping the sheep. He's out there because in Bible days, shepherds were like, shepherds had very little value. They weren't even allowed to be witnesses in court because nobody trusted them. And yet here's David. This is what he does. He has no reputation in the community. He's out keeping sheep. But something that David says to King Saul, when they're trying to figure out who's going to kill Goliath, he says, King Saul, while while tending my father's sheep, I have killed bears, I have killed lions, I have taken out wolves. This giant is nothing. I will drop him like I dropped the bear, like I dropped the lion, and like I've taken out wolves. Goliath is no match. You see, David was preparing for this moment. Prior proper planning prevents poor performance. The six Ps. Man, that was ingrained in us at Hamilton Southeastern. Prior proper planning prevents poor performance. There's actually seven, but I won't say it because it's Sunday morning and I'm a preacher and I won't use that word. But prior proper planning prevents poor performance. David was preparing for Goliath, but he didn't even know it. He was making himself available because he knew what he was capable of. His availability revealed to others his capability and God's incomparability. I'll say that again. David's availability revealed to others his capability and God's incomparability. You see, David said, okay, dad, I'm I'm available. I'll take this bread out there. And when Saul called on him and others called on him and he said, hey, I can take this giant out. Okay, go do it. Right? He showed his capability and he also displayed God's incomparability. And here's what I want to tell you about your life. That if you're willing to hit hit the reset button, and if you make yourself available, others around you will begin to see your capability to make a change. And they will also witness God's incomparability to move in your life when you're willing to make a change. Think about that. My availability will show my capability 
And through it all, God will show how incomparable he is to somebody who's willing to be used by him. You see, every one of us in here will face a giant. It's not if you face a giant, it's when you face the giant. You will face the giant, whether it's on the job, in your marriage, with your kids, wherever it's at, you will face the giant. And if God places a Goliath in your life, it's because he knows that there is a David inside of you dying to get out. And so if you're facing a giant, you need to look down deep inside because there is a David down there ready to sling a stone. And you need to say, God, I'm here and I'm available and I'm capable or you wouldn't have put Goliath in my life. Let's go do this. And you need to march out onto that battlefield and get your stone and be available. I got like three amens. Really? Seriously. If God places a Goliath in your life, it's because you have a David inside of you. You need to find it. You need to march out on that battlefield and do it. The third thing I know is this, that if you're going to hit that reset button, you better be ready. You better be ready when you hit that reset button. You know why? Because it's game on. And so everything that you've learned up to that point, every bit of knowledge you've gained up to that point, everything that you have learned about God and his love for you and his work in your life and your ability now to hear God and to know his voice so you know which steps to take, all of that experience now comes into play to be ready. I love Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. Listen to the wisdom of King Solomon. You ready? Such wise words. If you are too lazy to plow, don't expect to harvest. <laughs> That's just some good comments. If you're too lazy to plow, don't expect to harvest. This is what King Solomon says. Because you're sitting there expecting a harvest and you won't even go out and plow. David killed Goliath because he had killed the bears, he had killed the lions and taken on wolves. And he says, you know what? I can take the giant. I'm ready. I'm prepared for it. And King Solomon, who was David's son, says, let me tell you a little something my dad told me. If you want to harvest, you better start plowing. If you expect to defeat the giant, you got to start working. And so for the next several weeks, for the next four weeks, we're going to go through a parable of Jesus called the sower and the soil. The sower and the soil. Now let me give you a little bit of background before we dive into this. Okay? But first off, I want you to know, number one, you got to be open to change. Number two, you need to be available. And number three, you better be ready. Because when you hit the reset button, the game's going to start. You're going to get another chance at it. You better be ready. Right? So Jesus is, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is getting ready to tell a parable. Now in this parable of the sower and the soil, it's one of seven, seven parables in a row. Jesus gives us seven parables in a row. Boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Now, when you study them, whether it's Mark 4 or Matthew chapter 13, they're recorded in two places. Matthew gives us a little bit more detail than Mark does. But there's seven of them. That's an odd number. I'm helping my son with math, and I have now learned that seven is an odd number. Did anybody know that? I learned that this week. I'm kidding. I knew that. The first parable stands alone. The other six parables all have a partner. But this first one stands alone by itself. 
So we're going to read it, and we're going to talk about why does this parable stand alone, and the, others, the other six are three groups of two. So let's read this. In Mark chapter 4, verses 2 through 8, it says this. He taught them many things by parables in his teaching, In his teaching said, listen. All right, so like when Jesus says listen, it's one thing when mom and dad says listen. But if Jesus says listen, listen, right? Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed. Some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell on thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Jesus takes the very first parable out of seven, and he says... You know what he's saying? I'm about ready to drop some seed. And if your heart and your ears aren't ready to receive it and to accept it and allow it to grow in your life, you might be like one of these soils. You might be hard, you might be rocky, you might be shallow, or you might be good ground. You see, oftentimes, if you've been in church for a long time, we we refer to this parable as the sower and the seed. A guy goes out to sow seed, right? Right? But Jesus says, what? This is the standalone parable. It's by itself. And he's saying, yeah, there's a sower and a seed. This is really about the condition of your heart. This parable is more about the condition of your heart than it is the sower and the seed. How's your heart towards God? Is it hard towards the things of God? Is it shallow towards the things of God? Do you let the sun scorch the word of God in your life? And we'll talk about what that means in the coming weeks. Or is your soil ripe and ready to allow God to work? So for the next four weeks, we're going to examine where are we at with God. I heard someone say this past week, he said that all of us have sin in our life. All of us have skeletons. All of of us have sin in our life. And that's very true. And he says, most of us are fine with God coming in and cleaning out the sin in our life. But we all still have sin. And the difference is this, that when you reach a point in your relationship with God that you're okay, it simply means I found comfort in these sins, so that's okay, God. You go ahead and take those sins, but I'm comfortable with these. And the sad part is is that none of us should be comfortable with any sin in our life or any hard soil in our life or any rocky soil in our life. We should want to be good soil for the things of God. So what I'm inviting you to do is to come up and hit the reset button in your life. To hit that thing and say, God, I need to reset. The soil in my heart has gotten rocky. The soil in my heart has gotten shallow and I need to reset. I need to reset. I need to reset the soil. And so Jesus is telling his listeners, get ready. I'm about ready to drop six more parables and your heart needs to be ready. Your heart has to be ready. You know, somebody asked Jesus one time, they said, Jesus, why are you talking parables all the time? Why are you talking about farmers and mustard seeds and talk about all this other stuff? Why do you talk? Why can't you just tell it to us straight? And you know what Jesus said? He said, 
Jesus said, I use parables. I use parables because I want people who are spiritually minded. And to understand the parables, you have to think them through. Jesus says, I want people who are willing to think, and I want people who are willing to apply. Because if I just tell it to you, everybody will go, oh, okay, I'll go do it. Because I want you to engage your brain, I want you to engage your heart. It's essentially what he told them. And so it's a call to examine ourselves. In verse 4, it says that the farmer was scattering seed, and some fell on the path. And the path, and the first one we're going to talk about, the path was hard. The seed did not penetrate the dirt. Maybe it was dry. For whatever reason, the ground was hard. And it says the seed did not penetrate the dirt. Now, most of us in this room today probably don't have a problem with a hard heart. Just no to God, no to anything that God has, just no. Right? You know how I know that? Because you wouldn't be here if you... You probably wouldn't be sitting here this morning, right? If you had a really hard heart, you'd probably say, you know, it's snowing outside, and I probably should, I just, I just shouldn't go because we might get an inch of snow, right? You find some excuse as to why you can't go hear what God has to say. You just be done with it, right? So most of us in this room don't prob- probably don't have a real problem with a hard heart and rejecting the things of God. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I want you to be aware that it's possible for all of us, everybody in this room, it's possible for our heart to get hard towards the things of God and go, no, no thanks. You just stay at bay. I don't want anything to do with you. I love what the uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary says. He says this of this verse. He says, hearts all unbroken and hard are no fit soil for saving truth. Any heart that is Unbroken towards God and hard are not fit, are not fit for saving truth. And a hard heart is prime ground for Satan. In fact, when Jesus explains this parable to his disciples once they're alone, he explains it to them. He says, the birds that flew onto the hard ground and ate the seed that were laying on the ground, he said, the birds are like Satan and his demonic forces that come and take the word of God from you because it never got root. They come and they steal it, right? So, so how, do, how do demonic forces work according to scripture? They put thoughts in our head. They tell us, are you sure? They question us. They, they, they create doubt. They create fear. They create worry. They create all sorts of just crazy thoughts. Kill yourself. You never amount to anything. You're not worth it, etc. Right? We find it in the Bible over and over and over again. And so Jesus says, those people that are hard-hearted towards the things of God, the enemy comes and he just takes the word away because it's just laying on top of the ground. They don't even care. They don't want to hear it. So the enemy just has a field day, picking stuff out of their life, tearing their marriages up, tearing all sorts of stuff up because they refuse to hear the voice of a God who loves them. So most of us here are not hard-hearted. I'm willing, I'm taking, just taking a guess. But what we have to be careful of probably are the rest of the soils. Rocky soil, shallow soil, right? So what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks are the different types of soil that you and I are probably most prone to that we're most likely 
to see creep up in our life. Now, what do we have to do? If we're going to hit this button, what do we got to do? What's the prescription for examining our hearts and the surrounding conditions around us and God? Those three things, our hearts, the condition and the culture around us, whether it be our house, our jobs, the media, whatever, the culture around us and God, those three things. How do we take into account and make sure that our heart is right so that we can do what Jesus said, and that is be Jesus in a lost and dying world? How can we make sure that we're in alignment with Jesus and what he wants us to do so that we can go out and love people, care for people, right? Show our appreciation for people and be the light of the world. How do we do that? One of the key things the Bible says, and I'm going to wrap up with this, with this thought, is this thought, this idea of fasting. The fast, F-A-S-T. Now in the Bible, it's a little different than, you know, I can run fast or that car is fast. It's fasting in the Bible simply means to go without. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk a little bit about fasting. And then at the end of this service, I'm going to call us all, all of us, to 21 days of fasting and prayer and scripture reading. To examine the soil of our hearts. So this will be a corporate, church-wide fast. Now, before you, you're like, oh my gosh, what are you asking me to do? <clears throat> Let me explain what a fast is. First off, we have to say, okay, is, is fasting an option for me as a Christian? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 16, he says, when you fast. Wait, did he say if you fast? Did he say if? He says, if you decide to fast... No, he didn't say that. He said, when. He said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. He says, there are, Jesus says, there are religious people that will do religious things so people will recognize them. And Jesus is telling his followers, when you fast for change, when you fast to get your heart in alignment with me, don't go around and go, oh, you know, I'd really like to go to Chewy's with you after church, but I can't because I'm fasting, right? And then make yourself all pious and religious. He goes, just do it. Just, just do it, and don't try to be all religious about it. Don't go, look at me. I'm super spiritual. See my halo? Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't have a halo. Just do it right now. Let's just get this over with. You have no halo. Turn to your other neighbor. Turn to your other neighbor. And say, but you don't have horns. We're all somewhere in the middle. We're all somewhere in the middle. Like I said, we all have skeletons. It's okay, right? So is fasting an option? No. And Jesus said again to his followers in Matthew nine fifteen. He says Jesus answered, and he's talking about himself. He says, "How can the guest of a bridegroom mourn while he is with them?" The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and then they will fast. So let me explain a little bit what he's talking about. The bridegroom in the biblical days, when you would get engaged in, in Jesus' day, when you would get engaged, okay, they had, they had three stages of dating. Dating, 
betrothed, engaged, married. Okay? So at the engagement step, the next step is the wedding. At the engagement step, here's what would happen. The man would leave. For six, for six to nine months, the man would completely disappear. And here's what the man would be doing. Saving, storing up money, building a house, buying property, building a house. So that when they got married, they would go into their own house. For six months, he's preparing a house and a home. Now, if he's smart, he's asking her on the design. Like, how big do you want your kitchen? And, you know, what colors do you want? You know, he's getting all these details down so he can go build it. I'm glad I do not live in Jesus' day, honey, because you'd be in a cardboard box. Be like, oh, just crawl in there because I don't build. Right? And the wife during those six or nine months would be preparing herself, both physically, but also honing her skills. So she would be honing her skills. He would be building and they would come together. So Jesus says, how can the bridegroom, right? How can you fast and mourn if I'm still here? I have to leave. I have to go prepare a house. And so he says, when I leave, you will fast. So there are types of fast. And so I'm gonna let you have an option. Is that good? I love a God that gives you options. There's what the Bible calls a full fast. And simply, that's for a period of time, it's water only. No food, no nothing, water only. Now let me say this. This is what Jesus did in the desert for 40 days, okay? And other people in the Bible did this. Let me say this about a full fast. If you're diabetic or if you have you know, some condition that you can't do a full fast, you need to prayerfully consider whether or not, talk to your doctor if that's even possible for you, okay? The next type of fast is a Daniel fast. Now, Daniel, you know, Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Daniel fast means no meat, no sweets, and no bread. Man, some of you are out on that, right? I'm out on that. <clears throat> Only water, juice, fruits, and vegetables. It's a Daniel fast, okay? A partial fast. A partial fast is... Fasting for a period of the day, like I will not eat between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. I will not eat. I'll skip my lunch at work, and I'll take that half hour, and I'll go out in my car, and I'll pray, and I'll read my Bible. I'll get away from people. And then there's non-food fast. So you could fast like, let's say you love a half hour. There's this half-hour sitcom that you watch every week. Say, so you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast for TV every day for the next 21 days. For a half hour, I'm fasting TV. I'm going to take that half hour, I'm going to pray, I'm going to journal, I'm going to read. I'm going to get my heart in alignment with God. Video game fast, social media fast, whatever it is that you choose to fast from, here's the key. You have to take that time and spend it with God. Right? So you don't say, oh, I've got an extra half hour at work, I'm not taking a lunch, I'll go get some more work done. That's that, you totally defeat the purpose. Okay? In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, he says that some married couples have even chosen to abstain from physical intimacy for a period of time and spend that time with God. Um, so what's the purpose of a fast? Well, we want God to examine, we want God to reveal and restore the soil of our hearts. God, I need to be right with you. I need to draw closer to you. I need to be next to you. So what do you do during that time? If it's a half hour block, an hour block every day, what do you do? You pray, you pray for your motives. God, check my motives, check my heart. 
God, increase my sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Bible reading, journaling, worshiping, sitting in silence and just meditating on on what God is doing in your life, what God's doing in your kids' lives or your spouse's life. Think through these things. Journal, write about them, and pray. Now, here's why I feel like God's calling us to a corporate fast. I believe for two reasons. One, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if my people, not the people who don't go to church and have a relationship with Jesus, not those people. He says, if my people will humble themselves and call on my name, then, and this is what God says he'll do, if you do that, I, God says, will come and I will heal your land. I will begin to repair your community. I will begin to fix what's wrong with your community. But you first have to humble yourself and get your heart heart checked and heart lined up. I don't know about you, but I believe that our community and the surrounding areas need a move of God like we have never seen before. It's true. And the only way it's going to happen is if we, who are God's children, say enough is enough. And in the spiritual world, we're declaring, God, we need more of you. And things have to change and they can't stay the same. So we, as a body of believers, have to say enough is enough. And I'm coming and getting in alignment. We're hitting the spiritual reset button. I'm going to fast. And God, the whole purpose of a fast is to say, because fasting goes against our consumer culture. Consumer culture says, make me happy, give me more. I must consume. But this says, I don't need that. I just need more of God. I don't need stuff to make me happy. God will make me happy if I just seek him. He says, then I'll come and I'll heal your community. I'll heal your land. I'll begin to fix things. But you have to first come to me and humble yourself. So if... If uh, I love this, without a, I, lo- I love this quote, without a purpose and a plan, it's not Christian fasting, it's just going hungry. <laughs> if you don't have a plan and a purpose for fasting, you're just going hungry, all right? So I want to call us to this corporate fast for two reasons. One, for our community, and two, for our church, that God would begin to grow this church, that we would see God do supernatural miracles in our church, that people would be healed, lives would be restored, marriages would be fixed, so that people would say, what are you, what are you guys doing at the river? What, what's going on over there? I want, I want some of that, so that we can share the love of Jesus with them. So two reasons again. We want to get our hearts in the right place so that God can move in our community And number two, for those that don't know Jesus, they they might see us drawing closer to God and want some of that. How many of you have neighbors that need Jesus? They just need love. Yeah, yeah. That's only going to happen if we start getting our hearts right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you with this, and I'm going to wrap up with this. I'm not going to ask you to do something and not give you tools to help. On your way out today, you're going, to get, you're going to get a 21-day prayer and devotional pamphlet brochure thing, <laughs> okay? And that's to help you each day. There are prayers in there. There are scriptures in there for each day. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, for the next 21 days, every Tuesday and Thursday night at 
our church will be going live on Facebook. I'll be kicking off this Tuesday night at 8.30 for about 15 minutes. We're going to do devotionals. We're going to pray for one another. And then Thursday night, Ben is going to do Thursday night at 8.30. And then the following Tuesday, I believe Jacob and Alyssa are going to take next Tuesday. And so leaders of our church are just going to, for 15 minutes, 8.30, Tuesday and Thursday nights, we're going to pray and believe God together on Facebook Live. And you should get that booklet today as you leave. I want also as you leave, we have signs you can hold up. I reset at the river, reset. Take those, post those on social media. Take your pictures with those as you head out. Get that out there, man. Let's reset. How many of you believe that our country, our nation, our communities need to reset? Then let's start it. If my people who are called by my name will do this, then I'll come in and do my part. We have to do our part. Let's stand up this morning. Man, I believe God's going to do some amazing things. I think that if we get our hearts in alignment with God, that he's going to come in. He's going to overhaul some families. He's going to come and overhaul some relationships. So today, tonight, maybe before you get, go to bed, throughout the day, just pray, God, what fast would you have me do? Right? Maybe you need to fast TV every day for a half hour or an hour. All right? Or whatever it might be. And then tonight, before you go to bed, talk to your spouse. For those of you that are married, talk to your spouse about that. What can we do as a couple? What can we fast and stay away from so that we can solely focus that time with God? If you're single, find an accountability partner. Find somebody else that's single that you can go to and say, hey, here's how I'm going to fast. How are you going to fast? And then hold each other accountable for that. You guys with me? All right. If I could have Aaron and Lori Riffey come up and... If I can get Amy and Jesse to come up on this side. And we're going to close. We're just, let's just do a chorus of something. And if you're here, you need prayer for anything. We want to pray with you and believe that God is going to reset your heart for the next 21 days.